And for two years, I literally worked two jobs. I would work my nine to five in corporate, mm -hmm. but every other time was maximized. I watched no TV. My commute to work was all about social media. My commute back was all about social media, building my following. And in the morning, I'd work on all my podcast stuff. I'd tell everybody what they need to do. These were volunteers. So everybody only worked like one hour a day. Sure. But like yeah. I would like, do this, you do this, you do this. And I'd delegate everything everybody had to do. And then at night, I'd stay up till 12, 1 a.m. I got yeah. no sleep. I really worked two jobs for many years. I was like side hustling for real. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chapel, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. If you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the show. Today, I am making friends with Hala Taha. Hala, what's up? Hi, Travis. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me in your home hometown city, yeah. right? New York. Yeah. Okay. And then I really want to jump into how you even got to doing what you're doing now, because I know that you kind of took more of a traditional path and ended up in kind of the corporate world. And then you were just kind of like, nah, screw this. And then somehow we're sitting here today in a random podcast studio in downtown New York City. So Let's go back in time. Talk to me, let's say, nine-year-old Hala Taha. Where are you? What are you doing? Set the scene for us. Family sure. life, all that stuff. Okay, cool. So I grew up in a family of doctors. Okay. So my dad was a surgeon. My uncles were doctors. Everybody in my family was doctors. All my siblings are older than me, all became doctors. How many? Three. Okay. And all my cousins down the street. Another three of them all became doctors. So no I'm the, shit. Yeah. I'm wow. the only one in my immediate family that is not a doctor. So you're a disappointment, basically. I was. <laughs> I was the black sheep. But I was very different from everybody else from the start. I was very outgoing. I okay. loved to sing. Always like the star of every play. Okay. Solo in every concert. Very popular. Just a really shining, like, child, okay. right? Not one to shy away from the spotlight. Not one to. Yeah. Sh I was always really outgoing seeking, on the sports yeah, the team. Spotlight. Yeah, I okay. love the spotlight. What kind of sports? Soccer. Okay. Did a lot of soccer primarily. Okay, sweet. And then 9 11 happened. Mm -hmm. How old are you at the time? I was just about to go into high school. Okay. And when 9 11 happened, it really changed everything. So my family, I'm Palestinian 100%. Okay. And before that, because my dad was really successful, like we were just treated like an Italian family in town, like really accepted. My mom was part of the PTA, all that kind of stuff. Once 9-11 happened, my family was treated totally differently. And I was treated totally differently. I wasn't allowed to participate in the talent show when previously I was a lead in all the plays and had the best voice in school. Wow. They wouldn't even let me in the talent show. I was very athletic, tried out for the cheerleading team, didn't make it. Fast forward to college, tried out for the cheerleading team and was co-captive. So obviously wasn't that I sucked. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even without any years of Gets practice. Gets more competitive in college. Yeah. Not competitive. Without any, without any years of, it was like all that practice, I still was co-captain in college, right? So I just got zero opportunities in high school. And I remember my friend group changed. I was just friends with all like the, like the, a Russian girl and a Portuguese girl, like just like the only people that hmm. accepted me. Just everything changed. So 
in hindsight, it was really good for me because I was really used to rejection. Mm. And this, this mentality that I could do anything didn't go away because my dad grew up extremely poor in Palestine. Okay. Eight people in one house, no electricity, no light. And he ended up becoming uh, a doctor, go, getting a scholarship to becoming a doctor, coming to America, becoming a surgeon, then becoming chief of surgery, then opening up his own medical center. So I literally saw this man yeah. who grew up super poor and became very successful, took my whole family out of poverty. I had zero excuse. So even though I was rejected and all this stuff, I still believed that anything was possible, right? Yeah. So I came into college like guns blazing, right? I Where'd got you go to school? NGIT. Wasn't a great school because I had no extracurricular activities in high school. I was, I got good grades, but there was nothing special about me because mm. I literally did not get any opportunities in high school after 9-11. So by the time I went to college, the whole 9-11 thing cooled down. I went to a really diverse school, which was lucky. I didn't even mean it, mm. but I all of a sudden was just treated normally. And then I was lead in every play, you know, top of my sorority on the board, you know, co-captain of the cheerleading team. and really became the most popular girl in school, quite frankly. I was like very, very popular and loved it. Right. And I tried out for all, I just tried out for opportunities and was actually getting them. Then in my junior year of college, I was writing music. I was a really good singer. I was songwriting. I want, my dream was actually to be a songwriter and a singer. Hmm. I always knew that I was going to use my voice somehow in my career. And so my, I had this bright idea. I was, in the, I was in every single extracurricular activity you could imagine because I was so, I was missing that from high school that mm. I did not go to class. I did not care about school. All I did was just like extracurricular things. I was part just of every things. club, like yeah. everything because I just was getting opportunities now. So I was in the radio club and I had this idea like, hey, let me just apply to radio station internships and push my music. That was the goal. Mm -hmm. So I applied. I got a job at Hot 97 and I ended up working for Ebro. If you know him, Hot 97 was like the number one hip hop and R&B station in the world. Okay. Ebro was the program director at the time. Now he's one of the personalities on the morning show. Hmm. And so I was Ebro's intern. I did a really good job. Then they promoted me to be Angie Martinez's intern in the studio area where only like 15 people were allowed. That's where all the celebrities would be every single day. And I was basically like the queen of all interns, nice. right? And I ended up dropping out of school because they just wanted me to work there basically full time, but for free. That's how you paid your dues in radio. Yeah. So I ended up working for free at Hot 97 for three years as Angie Martinez's assistant. So I would do, I would read commercials on air. That's when I first got like my chops wet in terms so, of being a so, personality. So sorry to cut you off. Yeah. So three years you started, you were interned there for three years. At what point did you drop out of school? To like, where you were just like, you were doing that. It was my junior year of college. Okay. I was working at 97 for about six months. And I remember Angie came up to me. She's Kala, can you come in every day? Hmm. And I was already failing out of school. I was going to say, did she realize what she was asking of you? Yeah. Or she was just basically, hey, do this instead. <laughs> or, Pretty much. Yeah. And the way that it works at Hot 97 is you work for free for three to five years and then they give you a show. Hmm. Mm. that's how you pay your dues in radio. Yeah, and so yeah. I wanted to be the next Angie Martinez and they were basically priming me to be that. Yeah. And I knew that. And so I was like, screw it. I'm just going to drop out of school. I was lucky because my father was really successful. So it's, and I was making money at night at Hot 97, throwing underground hip hop showcases oh, and nice. selling tickets and hosting concerts. Always and hustling to, something. Yeah. Going yep. to the clubs with the DJs and getting paid for that. And so I was just like hustling at night, working during the daytime. but back to like my family being very like regular immigrant family in terms of education is so important. 
everybody was like really worried about me. Not happy. I was living with my brother. Did you hide it? No. no I, you told them they like, knew it, but they were okay. very upset. I was living on my brother's couch, basically, working at Hot 97. It, my brother lived in Brooklyn. Your brother, who's also a doctor. Who's, who was in residency oh, okay. or whatever. <laughs> so it's like, I was just like totally loser to everyone. But I was learning a lot and I was doing all of Angie's research. And then on the side, I always took like my opportunity set Bs, right? So like Jason Pfeiffer, you probably know him. He taught mm -hmm. me about this concept, opportunity set A, opportunity set B. And something about me is that I always took, so opportunity set A is what you get paid for, what you're hired for. So at mm -hmm. 187, that was like running the Dillette boards, audio editing, research, doing the commercials, answering the phones, running the contests. I would do that. That was my day job, right? But on the side, I was blogging for DJ Enough, learning how to do WordPress. I was doing social media for Angie Martinez. Mm. I was hosting online radio shows on the side with all the up and coming DJs, which was basically the precursor of podcasts. You would go gotcha. into an actual physical studio. You'd be like, hey, guys, we're live from two to three at DTFradio.net or AListRadio.net. Mm, and I literally had four or five shows with the up and coming DJs at the time. So I was really getting a lot of experience. Yeah. So three years into it, I dropped out of school, all these things. I really think I'm going to be the next Angie Martinez. I'm still not getting paid. Mm. I'm only making money at night and I'm getting a lot of pressure from my family. And a paid job opened up. They fired Angie Martinez's producer and I wanted to get that role. So I rose my hand. I emailed Ebro. I emailed Angie. I was like, listen, like I've been working here for free for three years. I'd really just love to get like a minimum wage job. Can yeah. you hook it up? I'm not asking for much. Either. Yeah, like yeah. I didn't want like 100K salary. I was like, I, can I just be on the books? I'm like, I don't even know how I'm, I have a key card. I don't even have a W-2 here. This is crazy. And they saw it as like a red flag because they're not allowed to have interns like that. And because I, I basically just got fired That's for, wild. for asking for a job. Oh my gosh. After working there for three, three years for free? Dropping school, everything. Oh my God. And so Angie cut my key card. She, what really happened is that they gave the job to one of my close friends, DJ Juski, who's now on the radio. And I was just a young girl and I texted him. They wanted me to train him how to do the job. Oh my gosh. And so I texted him. The like, job that you weren't qualified for. And I was already do doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted me to train him how to do it. And so I texted him and I was like, for hey, for free. <laughs> so I texted him. They just wanted me to keep working for free, maybe for another two years. I don't know what the goal was. And maybe they knew that I wasn't a producer. I was a personality. So that was also another factor. But I was too young to think that all through. So I texted him and I was like, if you want to learn how to be the producer, learn it on your own. I don't feel good. I'm not going into work today. Yeah. And like you never call out of work at Hot 97 because who knows? Jay-Z might be showing up that day. Beyonce might be showing up that day and I just flaked on everyone and Angie depends on me to do all her stuff. She just shows up to record and I usually give her her whole thing. Yeah, yeah. She didn't have to do any work. I was doing all her work. So she saw that text. Drewski showed it to her like, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not prepared. I don't know what to do. Hall is not coming. And she fired me. She cut my key card. This is the lady I babysat her kids. I went shopping for her. I did everything for her. Jeez. Cut my key cards. All my mentors. Everybody, all the DJs were like my mentors, my friends. They you, all called me like, Hala, I'm so sorry. We're not allowed to talk to you yeah, anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like you're blackballed. Yeah, fuck that corporate. So. Yeah, they blackballed me from the industry. So I was like so devastated. I felt like somebody died. Hot 97 was my identity. I was big on yeah, Twitter. My right. screen name was Hala Hot 97. 
everybody at college was like, oh, how is the girl that like went to Hot 97? I was like, had the coolest job. Yeah. I was dating Chris Brown at one point. Like I was like hanging out with all these celebrities. Like, How I was, was that not the first thing that you brought up? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I was just like this little star at like 20 years old. You yeah. know what I mean? And then it all came crashing down and I basically had to think of a new way to build it up. And I did. Well, Paula, how dare you ask for money? For work, you know what I mean? <laughs> how, how dare you? So audacious. I know. <laughs> so what did, what did the family say at this point? So at this point, I still wanted to follow my dreams. I really believed that I was going to be like a personality and in entertainment. And my dad was really the only one in my corner. If it wasn't for my dad, hmm. none of this would have happened. Thanks, so he dad. was just like, just keep doing what you want to do. Keep Good following your dreams. And, and I was just working side jobs. I would work for like a festival company and do their social. And so I was making little money here and there, but I kept yeah. following my dreams. So you're how old at this point? 22, okay, and, 23. Okay. And this was, were like, at what stage were podcasts at this time? Podcasts existed, but very hard to get into. Okay. I actually technically was on a podcast that was like an online radio show and they also put it on Apple. So I was technically on a podcast already. Got it. But it was like nobody really knew how to subscribe. Nobody really knew. This was like 2010. Exactly. Exactly. This was like 2010. Then I decided I had this idea. I got fired on a Thursday. By Sunday, I had this new idea. I was going to start something called Strawberry Blunt. I was into smoking weed at the time. Just at the time. (laughs) (laughs) I smoked smoked once in a while. Um, Now more of a squeaky clean reputation. So that's whatever. It's okay. Weed's legal in most places now. But yes. at the time, it wasn't. And um, uh, I called it... Fair st- point. Yeah, it fair wasn't. Point. So it was like really cool to be called yeah, Strawberry right. Blunt, you know? And so then we were the sorority of hip hop. And okay. I decided I was going to recruit girls from all these different companies like Def Jam and iHeart and VH1. Girls who weren't getting opportunities, young girls, pretty girls. And we were going to band up. And you had a blog already because I had ran DJ Enough's blog. I had worked on Funkmaster Flex's blog. Taught myself how to build WordPress websites. And in two weeks, I recruited 14 girls. I found them on Twitter and Craigslist. And I was like, submit your pictures, submit your bio. I'll teach you how to write. I'll teach you how to blog. And I just wanted like pretty girls in the industry. Back when people on Craigslist were actually kind of trustworthy. (laughs) But it's so funny that so many of these girls I met on Craigslist look so random. Yeah. And so I built this sorority. I went back to school. Okay. And I remember my first board meeting was at my college. Then I like, rented out a room when I had 14 girls and I was the president of the sorority of hip hop. And I went back to school. And at this point, I was so much smarter than I was. Hot 97 taught me discipline. So oh, then sure. I started yeah. getting like straight A's. I was like, you know, academically like rocking it and started this blog. Three months later, I basically figured out how to hack Twitter. I was the first blog that would at mention people in the titles and like automate, you know, when you send out a blog on Twitter and it will be like, if they're like mentioning a celebrity or a politician, they'll at mention it, the blog title, and then the URL to the blog. Mm -hmm. I was like the first one to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, in and out of this organization, I had 50 girls at a time, 150 girls in and out over three years blogging for free for me. Mm. So 50 pretty girls tweeting Drake with the URL of our blog, Drake's going to retweet one of us. Yeah, yeah. So that's what happened. We were getting retweets by all these celebrities. Three months in, we were one of the most popular hip hop and R&B sites. And all of a sudden, I got really popular. Then all the DJs 
because they knew who I was, they were like asking me to host all their parties. So I would host all of DJ Camillo's parties and Funkmaster Flex parties. And then this blog became sort of an event company and I'd host concerts and Hmm. parties and we started getting paid that way. MTV noticed us. They shot a small pilot, didn't go anywhere, but this was literally three months and I was like, who cares? What's going to happen next? Two years later, MTV approaches me right after Jersey Shore ended. And they were like, Holly, we're going to give you your own show. We signed all this paperwork. We went to the office. They like touted us around. They filmed us all summer and basically we shot a show and they got us a studio on Broadway. They must have invested like $200,000 at least Mm. on this pilot. We had a concert. We did a dance. They filmed me at my parents' house with my boyfriend and restaurants, all this kind of stuff. So, and they did my hair and makeup and I finally felt like I made it, right? I was getting paid per episode. I was the lead of the show. It was literally at the height of MTV after Jersey Shore. And I was like, I'm literally going to be so famous. And I was so excited. My family was totally against it. But really? I just, yeah, they really weren't happy about the reality How show. Come? They just were worried that, that they were going to position me like Snooky or something. Like I was a wild girl. Just, not wild. I was really smart and like blogging and stuff. But sure. I was a partier and all this stuff. So they were just worried that they were going to position me as like Snooky. And they were trying to make us. Like, we were a sorority, you know, so they were trying to make us fight and, like, we had, like, sure. bathroom fights I mean, and all this stuff. It still has to be interesting yeah, for television. exactly. Right? Yeah. So it's like we had, like, bathroom fights and all this stuff. But two weeks before it was supposed to air, my producer calls me from MTV, Tiffany Williams. I'll never forget her name. And she's, I'm so sorry, Hala, but we're not going to air the show and we're going in a different direction. Oof. And apparently they always shoot two shows and then they pick one. Hmm. So they didn't pick us. And I was like crushed. And at this point, I was like six years into like working odd jobs, trying to make this all work. You know what I'm saying? Everybody in my family is like already doctors and like I'm just really behind everyone. And I was like, okay, I guess this is it. I guess this is over for me. I'm going to be normal. Let me go get my MBA. Honestly, everybody wanted me to be like, they thought all I could be was like a speech language pathologist or nothing wrong with that. But all my siblings were like, be a physical therapist, be an occupational therapist or a speech pathologist. I applied to 14 speech pathology schools, rejected from all 14. And thank God. Because <laughs> if that would have been my job, I would have been so, that is Something so Something tells me you wouldn't have me. stuck with it. Yeah. And something I think they awesome. they were like, what is this girl wants to be? She's going to get bored or something. I got rejected from every school. Wait, did you finish school then the second time you went back? I did. I okay. finished my undergrad and I did like really good my senior year. But my GPA overall was really bad. It was okay. like a 2.3. Yeah, yeah. I just, my first Phoned three years, first like, years, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just terrible. And so it was really hard for me to get into grad school. And I ended up reaching back out to my director of alumni studies at NGIT and basically like emailing her nonstop. Finally, she took a cup of coffee with me. I told her my whole story. And she said, I'll let you into the MBA program if you promise that you get a 4.0. And I'm kicking you out if you don't. You know what's wild to me is that it was so difficult for you to get into another program like that when you were likely of all of the people applying the only person that actually had experience building a business or like selling shit to people or marketing or any of the actual skills that you need to build a business. Like you were the only one, <laughs> but but you got somewhat bad grades at this thing. So we can't let you study here. Uh, that's the thing. There's so many issues that I have with the corporate world and the education world that just like they, they put up these random barriers to entry that make no fucking sense I know. at all. And then they they enforce them as if it's, you know, 
the law. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's so weird to me. And I'm really lucky because I really did not deserve to get into that program, but they let me in and I crushed it. I graduated number one. Through I got a relationship. 4.0, through a relationship that I basically begged and they were like, all right, we'll give you a shot. They saw that my last year I did well. And then I just got straight A's. I was like a star in the program. This is for your MBA? My MBA. Okay. So my MBA gave me the opportunity to transition into corporate because at this point I thought I'd never get back on a mic. Again, this, I already have four or five shows. Like I really wanted to be an on-air personality, but I was just like, forget it. I just need to be normal, get a job, make my parents happy. So so this is your kind of like, I'm selling out moment a a little bit where you're just like, I'm I'm giving up on this silly thing and I'm doing this thing. Oh, and by the way, I shut down the website. There was a hundred girls that hated my guts. Mm. All my best friends hated my guts now. Because you shut because down the I thing shut it that down. was their yeah. livelihood, kind of? Yeah. And we weren't making maybe. that much. It was like so much fun. It was their identity. It was like our yeah. community. Yeah. But I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need to work on myself. You got to be an adult. Exactly. <laughs> so I got my MBA. Your mid-20s now? Like late 20s, like 27, 28. Okay. So I got my MBA. That was my door into corporate because without that, my resume looked crazy. Free intern at Hot yeah. 7 I had the sorority of hip-hop strawberry blunt. Like An so, almost MTV show. Oh, yeah. So it's, everyone's, what is wrong with this girl? So I applied for corporate and I got a job at Hewlett Packard as an MBA intern. And the only reason why I got it is because I was getting my MBA. And so it was like a full-time job. I, I was making 70K a year for as an intern and for me at the time I was like this is well, that's 70k more than your last intern. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like oh my god I'm fucking loaded so I loved that job and I was going to school at the same time and it was it was basically like 30 hours a week it was basically full time and I was crushing it in school crushing it I became the the face of the young employees at Hewlett Packard hmm. I was an entrepreneur within the organization and I was so tech savvy I thought at 27, I was going to be so behind because all my other friends started their corporate jobs at 22. Sure. I was actually like jumping over people in corporate because I knew how to graphic design, video edit. Yeah. I knew how to build websites. You had real I knew skills. SEO. Yeah. I, I was like just the most digitally savvy on yeah. the team. And so I got promoted like four times in five years. Like I stayed at the company for five years and just, I was like president of the Young Employee Network. Then I was in the Global Young Employee Network, which is like an employee organization within them. And I was doing the same kind of stuff. Instead of interviewing like people on a radio show, I was interviewing the CEO at the town hall. And I was in the conferences doing like the tours and on the mic. So I was doing the same. I was still holla. Sure. But in the corporate world, right? And four years into it, about six months before, I stayed there for four and a half years, let's say. I realized that I had to get back into podcasting. I wanted to just get get back into it. And I had this idea of starting a podcast. I was going to call it Young and Profiting. I was part of the Young Employee Network. So I think that's where I got like the name from. Mm. And my goal was to, I was leading like 7,000 young people at HP. And I was like, why don't I lead 7 million people? And it doesn't have to be HP, Mm. right? Mm. And so I decided that I was going to start my personal brand on LinkedIn because I felt like a lot of the people that would want to listen to my show would be on LinkedIn. Okay. And I decided to start this podcast. And now I had a lot of experience with this kind of stuff. Sure. So my podcast yeah. was like really good from the start. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time on my first like three episodes, five months on them. So like I, I kind of came out with a bang. Yeah. 
I became an influencer on LinkedIn quite fast. Disney streaming services recruited me at the same time. So I moved to New York, started working at Disney. And you moved to New York from Jersey. From Jersey. Okay. And by the time I got a job at Disney, I was like a top 10 how-to podcast on Apple. My podcast yeah, what, was What like, year was this that you started the show and started doing LinkedIn 2018 stuff? was when I started Young and Profiting Podcast. Okay, got it. Okay. So I started Young and Profiting Podcast in 2018. By episode two, I had my first volunteer who's now my business partner, Timothy Town. Okay. And I had all these fans on LinkedIn because I was the number one podcaster on LinkedIn. All these fans on LinkedIn would reach out to me and they'd be like, Hala, I want to help your show. I'm so, in, your show changed my life. How can I help? How can I help? And I would get all these people asking, how can I help? So I opened up a Slack channel and I started training all these people how to help me on my show. So I had one guy from Atlanta who'd help me with videos. I had one guy in Estonia helping me build my website. Hmm. I had a guy from California helping me with guest outreach. And a lot of these people are still on my team. By episode eight, I had 10 people on a Slack channel. In two years, I had about 20 people all around the world that were helping me with my podcast for free Wow! so that I could do my job full time. I was scared of being an entrepreneur. Sure. Yeah. And I had now, I was like an executive at Disney, like crushing it. Yeah. I didn't really want to leave the corporate world. I didn't even think, I thought that podcasting was just a hobby, right? Sure. So I had a volunteer team of about 20 people working for free for me. That's fantastic. I'm eating it up because I, I like the storyline. So, yeah. So you have 20 people working for free for you, but you're still at the point where you're, you're buying into the idea that the corporate world is the better path forward, even though you have a ton of social proof that would suggest that if you took the leap, you would probably do pretty well. Yeah. So what tipped the scales eventually? So it was the way that I first monetized everything. So okay. two years into it, my podcast is pretty notable. I've had big guests from the start. It was really quality show. Just to pause real quick. Two years into it. Two years into two it. Two years, people. I, I have this conversation two with years. so many people. <laughs> yeah, because exactly what you're like, obviously, we both kind of have helped a fair amount of people start podcasts. And the question is always, well, how do you get your show to be successful? And more and more lately, I've done a lot more thinking around what's like the base level of work that you have to do in order to get to a point where you feel like you actually kind of know what you're doing. You already started like a year, two years, maybe even three years, four years of experience beyond what most podcasters start at with yeah. your previous experience doing exactly. hosting, being in radio, doing parties and events and emceeing and all the other things that you yeah. did. And then you started a podcast and had 20 people on your team and did it for two years. And then that's when you monitor. Like, exactly. I just want to paint that picture for people because I, I think that's something that most people would have just glazed over. But that's a very important detail of this entire thing is everything you built today stems from the fact that you're always willing to put in the work, grab the experience and the skills that are necessary for that thing and then take massive action and stay disciplined and consistent until you see the result. That's what it takes. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's, it's such a great point. And for two years, I literally worked two jobs. I would work my nine to five in corporate, mm -hmm. but every other time was maximized. I watched no TV. My commute to work was all about social media. My commute back was all about social media, building my following. Mm -hmm. And at night and in the morning, I'd work on all my podcast stuff. I'd tell everybody what they need to do. These were volunteers. So everybody only worked like one hour a day. Sure, but like yeah. I would do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And I delegate everything everybody had to do. 
And then at night, I'd, my boyfriend at the time was a music producer. He worked nights. We'd eat dinner and then he'd go to work and I'd stay up till 12, 1 a.m. I got yeah. no sleep, yeah. right? But I, I really worked two jobs in for, for many years, but definitely for, for the two years that I was like side hustling for real. Then COVID hit. Mm. And me and my boyfriend moved to Montauk, which is upstate New York. Mm -hmm. Also, my dad ended up passing away from COVID. Oh, no. And for three months, I in March, it happened right away. My, one of, my family was one of the first to be impacted. I moved home to take care of my parents who had COVID. I ended up getting COVID. And so at that point, COVID was so scary that like I didn't see my boyfriend for two months. I didn't see my friends for months. I was really bored. And I was already working from home from Disney. And I remember I had Heather Monaghan on my show. Do you know her? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So she's like a LinkedIn influencer, a big podcaster. And she was obsessed with my marketing on LinkedIn. Okay. And she was obsessed with my videos. So she kept commenting on myself, Paula, can you do this for me? I really want you to do my social media. And I told her like, hey, Heather, I have a volunteer team. I have a great career at Disney. I can't help you, but I'll show you how to do it. So I would try to train her on the weekends because I wanted her as my mentor. So I was just trying to be nice. Yeah, of course. And she literally, I showed her my Slack channel. I showed her my drive, my templates. I tried to teach her how to do everything. And she's like, Paula, I have a budget that I was going to give to VaynerMedia. I see your stuff. Your stuff is better. You literally have a marketing agency and you don't know it. I will be your first client. Trust me. Let's do this. And I'm at this time, I'm stuck in my parents' house. My dad is dying. I'm like, I remember, you know, I'm like thinking, how can I take things to the next level? Life is so short. Then I'm also have no commute. So I've got like all this time unlocked because it used to take me a couple hours every day to go back and forth to Disney in New York. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, let me do this. I've got this volunteer team. So Heather started paying us, started paying some of my employees, hiring more people from my creative team in the Philippines and stuff like this. And then my second client, Jason Waller, at the time, he was the CEO of a billion-dollar company, Power Home Solar. Mm -hmm. It was the fastest-growing public company in the world. He had a lot of money. He invited me on his podcast. And at the end of his show, he looked me straight in the eye and he was like, Hala, can you do my social and podcast production? And now I had my first client and I was like, yes, I can. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I had no website. I had nothing to my name. Nothing. Well, you didn't have business cards? No business cards, no logo, <laughs> no website. I didn't even have a company name. I just said, yes, I can. Yeah. And then I remember me and my business partner, Timothy Tan, who started with me episode two, I knew how to graphic design. So I created a really cool PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. I listed he wanted LinkedIn, Instagram and podcast services. And I listed it at 3K, 3K, 3K. And then Tim was like, he's a billionaire, Hollow. Why don't we just do 10K each service? That's a fair question. And I was like, okay, let's try it. I was like, worst you can do is negotiate us down. So we hop on a call. I do a great presentation. And then I, at the end, I'm like, here's the price. It's 30K a month. And he's, let's do it. <laughs> and I was like, all right. Yeah. And here's a big lesson here, people. Big <laughs> lesson. This is something I've been thinking about, again, a lot lately. And it was Alex Ramosi who said it recently. He's just really good at simplifying, you know, complex things. But he said, um, solve rich people problems. They pay better. And it was one of those, it was one of those things where you, it, exactly what you're talking about. Like you look at the services that you offered, the services could be delivered from $2 VAs in the Philippines and could be sold to somebody who is, maybe has a podcast on the side and they make $40,000 a year and they would pay 
$900 a month for that service. Or you go to somebody who makes a billion dollars a year in revenue at their business who needs that thing to solve a much greater problem, which is status, influence, attracting great employees and better people in the organization. And like those types of problems to them are worth sometimes millions or tens of millions of dollars. So it's like you, you first hear it, it kind of sounds, oh, well, you know, you just said that there was going to be that versus that. Well, what, what makes it worth that? The only thing that makes it worth that is the value that that person is receiving from the agreement. Yeah. Right? Because this $40,000, not to talk shit on anybody making $40,000 a year, I'm just saying if you solve a $40,000 a year person's problem, then you get paid the 500 bucks that it is because the value to them is basically, hey, I don't have to take my time to edit my podcast anymore. That to me is worth $500 a month. Yeah. But this guy's like, oh, you can help me increase my influence. You can help me get a better social following. You can help me grow my audience. You can help like these things will be worth millions of dollars to me. Therefore, I'm okay with letting go of a couple six figures every year. Yeah. And the other thing is that I had the social proof. I had already blown myself up on LinkedIn. I had already blown up my podcast. I was getting the guests. And not for nothing, I had originally, my original price was definitely underpriced given all the expertise I could bring. I agree. And Jason was like my only first client. So I literally took him from a nobody to him blowing up on Instagram, blowing up on LinkedIn. He became like a top podcast. I made him all that money back Mm -hmm. because I got him all these sponsorships and things. So I crushed it for him. So it's like he believes like money well spent. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's like, Like, it's just an appropriation of the value received from the other party. It's like, what do they view this work as being worth to them? And since he paid me so much money, I was really able to get the resources that I needed and everything like that to really get it under control. But I do view Jason as like, he was my seed investor. Because without that first influx of money, I then had had my first U.S. hire. I was able to actually pay my team, well, my a- volunteers. So what's awesome about those types of like seed investments is that it's a customer. Exactly. You know, that's the one thing about raising capital, especially for a service-based business like that. It's just, if you're going to do it, the best way to get somebody to vote is with their wallet. Yeah. Because almost nobody in your life is going to be like, Hala, that's a shitty business idea. You know what I mean? If you explain to them, I, I, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do production. I'm going to do LinkedIn. I'm going to do all these other things. And so nobody in your life is going to be like, that's a bad idea. You shouldn't do that. Everybody's going to be like, oh, that sounds cool. And then you're going to get all this kind of this confidence and this hope. They're like, I'm going to go do it. And then you go talk to the people that told you it was a good idea. And they're like, oh, not right now. Not right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you go get somebody who has money and they actually sign and they actually pay you money to do the thing, that is a big vote that you're doing something that people probably need. You're solving a problem for somebody. And you know, you don't need to take investments from anyone. You right. can just bootstrap your company if you just can from get customers. clients and yeah. make sales from the start. Too many entrepreneurs, I think, don't know how to sell or get clients. That's something that I was good at from the start. Like I sure. was getting big clients from the start. So then I got Jason Waller. Then I got Karen Golden, the CEO of Hintwater. Oh, yeah. yeah no and I did all her social media. Then I got Hints Marketing and I did all Hint Marketing. Great. Then I got the CEO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK and I took over his, his profile and 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So I was crushing it. Six months in, I was making nearly $200,000 a month in my business, still working at Disney from home. Yeah. Still doing it as a side hustle. Still in the middle of COVID. Still in the middle of COVID. Now I was in, yeah, my dad had passed away. I was living in Montauk and I would, you know, my, a lot of my team was overseas in the Philippines and I didn't have a creative director or anything at the time. So I would go to work. Then at 9 p.m., I'd start my my job with my team in the Philippines, telling them all the social stuff I needed to do. And that's what I did for six months. 
Six months into it, I'm working at Disney. I'm dying to become an entrepreneur. I'm ready to take the leap. I feel like this is not a fluke. I have so many clients. I'm doing so well. My boyfriend at the time was super against it. Mm. He thought I was making the worst. We ended up breaking up and I moved out. I was going to say, I noticed you said at the time. Yeah. So we were 12, (laughs) 10, let's say 11 years into our relationship. Oh, wow. We were together for a long time. That's a real boyfriend then. He was like basically my husband. And he was so against, he was so mean to me about starting this company. Hated that I was an entrepreneur. And he's an entrepreneur. So I thought that was really messed up. Wait, why? He just hated the attention, like that I was so busy. He hated, he thought that I was like, that it was a fluke. He was so proud of my Disney job it was a great job. So he was really proud of me working at Disney. Such a weird thing though, right? I I mean, like, because the business was making... Doing so well. And he was, he was saying really, and we're friends again now, but he was really hurtful to me. He would tell me my, my business is fake. My employees are fake because a lot of them were in the Philippines. You've got a fake business, fake employees. And he was really, really belittling. And so I had to get out. So I left the house, moved out, packed up all my stuff, went to my mom's house. And ended up relaunching my podcast in her basement. <laughs> it's not because I was broke. I was doing really well, but I just needed like somebody who loved me, right? And so I moved back to my mom's house and I quit my job at Disney because I found out I was going to get on the cover of Podcast Magazine. <laughs> then I found out that Matthew McConaughey was coming on my show. And I was like, already had 100, maybe 60,000 followers on LinkedIn. I was already like a LinkedIn influencer. And I was making money where I could invest back in my podcast. So my podcast blew up because I figured out media buying. And I was like, okay, I'm going to quit. So six months into it, 30 paid employees around the world, cover a podcast magazine, about to interview Matthew McConaughey. And this was 2021, January 2021, February 2021-ish. Okay. Quit my job, became a full-time entrepreneur. And now rest is history, you know. Everything yeah. has just totally blown up. The new thing that I started a year and a half ago is my podcast network. So I really figured out how to monetize my show. The show like Jason Waller's show that I blew up. I figured out how to get him sponsorships. And then I started a podcast network. And now I'm running about 25 top business shows where I'm growing and monetizing them, trying to recruit you to come to my podcast Ooh, network. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and then I still have, I have the number one LinkedIn marketing agency. So that's the other thing we're known for. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters 
is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So many awesome things here, Hala. I, I want to I don't want to bring the mood down, so you tell me if you want to go here or not, okay? We can. But I, I want to talk a little bit about your dad. Yeah. It sounds like he was a tremendous influence yeah. on you and someone who I feel like, especially as entrepreneurs, when we're just kind of like crazy people who just come up with random ideas and do them, even though it's totally against the common like knowledge, like collective knowledge, especially when you come from a family like that. So I feel like a lot of times we just, just want somebody to believe in yes us, you know and, and it sounds like your dad was that person inside of your family would that be correct to characterize it that oh, way 100 okay. like my dad would always tell me i would always get really insecure and be like but everyone's a doctor but he's you're gonna be the boss of all of them don't worry you know what i mean like you're gonna be a star so he would always put it in my ear just yeah. keep going keep trying and what makes me feel so sad is that all my success really happened right after he died yeah Literally, it was 2020 was literally the worst year of my life and then became the best year. Yeah. It's like my podcast blew up as soon as he died. It's just even my business started while he was in the hospital. So he didn't he didn't even know I had a business, nothing. He knew that my podcast was he was proud of my podcast. But at that time, I was just like corporate with a small podcast, nothing serious. But it's crazy to think that he doesn't even he may know but you know. Yeah. Was the experience for you just kind of like out of body? Because there's so many weird factors to consider at that time, like not going into an office, like being in a cramped house with only your boyfriend and then COVID and all the weirdness that came along with that. And then your dad passing during that time, starting, there's six or seven, I mean, really life-changing things that are happening at one time. Even if they happened individually, they would have been like life-altering, you know what I mean? But this is all kind of converging at this one moment in time yeah. do you like have memories of that time or was it just like a i don't I'm, it's just like such I a blur it like it was so it many life-changing things on top of all that for some reason as soon as i started my business i had three childhood best friends that grew up with me they just turned their backs on me so i broke up with basically my husband my three best friends basically were like f you holla you want to choose this life do it on your own hmm. So I lost my best friends. I lost my husband. I basically, I changed my job. I became an entrepreneur. My dad died. It was just like the worst six months. But then at the same time, my career was like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Did, did you always have a strong sense of confidence? Very. Okay. Do you think that that came from like an innate belief in yourself or did that come from like parents instilling that, the dad believing in you? Um, Where did that come from? I think, think? It be, I think it really... I would say that I was confident. 9-11 killed that confidence a little bit. Mm. When I was 19 years old, I became obsessed with the law of attraction. Mm. Like, okay. The secret 
all that stuff. Felt so deep into it. Mm. I was obsessed with these. Have you ever heard of Abraham and Esther Hicks? Yes, I've heard of Esther Hicks. I don't know. Yeah. So that's her husband. And so I would read all their books and I was like obsessed with all of their like CDs. I would listen to it on repeat. And so I brainwashed myself Mm. at 19 years old, right before Hot 97. And I would like say affirmations every morning. You're the most beautiful girl in the world. You're so smart. You're going to be famous. You're going to. And I would like just brainwash myself. So 19 years old, I was like untouchable, Mm -hmm. crushing it at Hot 97, crushing it at my blog, like running all the events, hosting all the hottest parties, hanging out with celebrities, like literally like almost got signed to Young Money, almost got a show on Love and Hip Hop, almost got a show on Sirius XM. Like the the amount of opportunities that I was like, even if I didn't get all of them, I was getting opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Really when I, I lost that, when MTV like pulled the plug on the show, that was mm. sort of like the last straw mentally that I was like, oh, this sure. whole like manifestation thing is not real. I need to just be like, be serious now, right? Then, you know, I started my podcast, thank God. I think it was just boredom, honestly, because I just needed that outlet. That's who I am inside, sure. you know? And yeah. it just happened. Can't deny it. I couldn't yeah. deny it, you know? It just happened again. And four years later, right? So I was building that and it was really cool, but it was COVID and my dad dying that really instilled me like life is limitless. Look at what my dad did. He came from war and like the worst part of the world and pulled himself out of nothing. What's my excuse? I, let me just give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen, right? It's What's not like the I, worst can't, that can I can't go. It's not like I could not like if it fails, I'll just go back to corporate. Like, yeah, right. what's the big deal, you know? And so I just took it hard to have such clear sight for myself and belief in myself and still everyone around because my dad was gone now Mm -hmm. my mom didn't want me to quit my job my boyfriend didn't want me to quit my job everyone was against it Mm -hmm. and so here I was again black sheep but so successful and I was like you know what screw everyone I want to show them you know yeah right and I did what do you view now about the law of attraction and manifestation and all that stuff how do you view that now I definitely believe that you have to believe that that things are possible yeah. You have to have a positive outlook on things and you have to believe that you are what you want to be, right? That you already are. But the other thing that I think a lot of people miss is you have to be willing to put in the daily action. Action. I put in so much action. Yeah. Right? So it didn't happen by accident. And it's also like the skills. The reason why I was successful at podcasting pretty quickly, you know, I've only been doing it for five and a half years. I'm number one on the entrepreneurship charts today. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm competing with people who did it 10 years before me and I'm at their level, Mm -hmm. you know, even though it's been five years, I grew fast, you Mm -hmm. know, but it's because I started with such a strong foundation of skills. I had audio editing skills, marketing skills, video design, like graphics. And I don't do those jobs anymore, but I was able to delegate and teach and build and learn how to motivate teams and all that kind of stuff. And make, I figured out how to make money to then invest in my show, invest in my brand, invest in my future. So it was a lot of hard work and sacrifice. I sacrificed relationships. I sacrificed time. I worked through every weekend for four or five years. Like I busted my ass. But I also believed in myself. If I busted my ass and didn't believe it was possible, I wouldn't have amounted anywhere. Well, you wouldn't it's have both. busted your ass. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, you have to believe it's possible, but you also have to do, do the was, hard work. I was talking to, oh, I think you had her on your show. Maybe, maybe not yet. Jen Gottlieb. Oh, yeah, she's friend. coming. Yeah. 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 But 
I just had her on to talk about her new book. And I liked when she said, I asked her a similar question because she, honestly, a lot of similarities. Like really? She, yeah, she was like singing and was trying to be on Broadway and all this other stuff. But anyway, I asked her about the law of attraction and she said, I only believe in the law of attraction when it's followed by the law of action. Mm. And I was like, yes, thank you for saying that because yeah, there's so much manifestation bullshit that's out there that keeps people in this constant state of believing they're awesome without any proof to back it up. Exactly. You need this, the experience, the proof, the hard work, the failures. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The mistakes that then add up to give you some sort of foundation yep. to actually be what you want to be. Right. Yes. So it's like you got to do the thing. And the other thing is that you're not always going to get every opportunity. Yeah. Right. But it's all about the at back. Yes. It's all about getting the opportunities, but you're not going to get them all. That's the other thing that people don't understand is I got rejected over and over and over again. Part of but it, then yeah. one thing hit and now I'm like the podcast princess, you know what I yeah, mean? But exactly. it took so many rejections to get here. Yeah. You also will not be able to capitalize on every opportunity. Yeah. Because taking the opportunity is just a rep of like how to execute on opportunities. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you got a bunch of opportunities when you were younger, but like they didn't pan out because maybe you weren't ready for them to capitalize exactly. yet. It's just there's so many people that stop doing that. If you stop getting up to the plate, you're not going to hit a home run. And the odds of you hitting a home run on the first at bat are so, 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 so low because you never swung a bat before. You know what I mean? You've got to get up to the plate again, swing the bat again. You strike out, you go sit down. You come back, you stem back up there, you get in the box and you take a few more swings. You know what I mean? Like the, it's the thing about luck, that, the, the conversation about luck that I have with people because they're like, oh, do you believe luck exists? Look, luck for sure plays a role in success especially outside success. I believe that luck is, is a part of all of that. But the luckiest people are the ones that have the most at-bats. Yeah. Because eventually, like sooner Nothing or later, swings. you're going to, you might, maybe you hit a single the first time. You know what I mean? Maybe your second hit, it's a double. You know what I mean? But like on your 845th time up to bat, you're going to smack a home run, you know, because you just, you kept getting up, you kept getting up and you kept taking swings at the freaking ball but so many people just they get up they take their three swings they strike out and they go sit on the bench and they never get up again because that was painful you know that and sucked to strike out everybody saw me all my friends and family they they it was embarrassing to strike out in front of everybody yeah it's well so what what's your what's your option then what yeah. are you gonna do just quit everything forever because it sucks to not be good at in a hundred years from now nobody's gonna remember that we're having this conversation nobody's gonna remember the things that like 200 years from now we're gonna be irrelevant yeah. you know what i mean like why are you so focused on what all these people care, like are thinking about you when 90% of them don't actually care about you as a human being. Like yeah. maybe 95% of them don't care about you as a human being. Like they're only caring about what you do because they're trying to measure up what they do against what you do. So they hope you don't do well because that would make them feel better, like worse about themselves because yeah. they're not taking the action that they know they need to take. Exactly. And you're going to let their opinion define whether or not you go do the thing that you want to do totally. with your life? I remember my friends who are like, we're not friends anymore. When I started my podcast, they were like, you're too old to start a podcast. Why? They were like, why are you doing this? You're only doing this because you're not married. Or they're like, oh put me down gosh. so bad. And then I feel like they were so embarrassed of them being wrong. Yes. One of the reasons why they stopped being friends with me is because I started blowing up. Of course. And then they were like, oh my God. Like, it's a mirror. Yeah. It's a mirror that reflects to them the version of themselves that they actually are. And that sucks. So all they're going to do is try to tear you down as much as they possibly can because it makes them feel better about their lack of action toward their dreams because they know that they settled. They sold out for something. Yeah. You know what I mean? When they see like 
physical evidence and representation of what could have been possible for them. Especially different for people you grew up with. Yeah. Because you come from such a similar place. Exactly. You know, it's easy to look at a Matthew McConaughey or whoever and be like, oh, good for them. But they didn't, you know, I, I grew up different than they did. Yeah. Like they, they had it better than I did. Like it's so much, it's so much easier to characterize those people as being other or mm -hmm. better than. But when you like see somebody that came from a very similar situation, that grew up in a very similar household, that had very similar values, and then they do something that's extraordinary or something that you wanted to do, it then it's like, a, ego, oof, yeah. I guess I could have done something if I yeah. actually really wanted to do it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, you along the way, it's just like you're going to lose some of those some of those things, some of those people. But you also, I assume, have made a bunch of new relationships exactly. and new friendships exactly. with people who think similarly to you, who also probably had friends that left them because of the decisions that they made. And who are supportive know? and don't try to make me feel small or whatever sure. to make me feel better. Right. So it's so funny how. The closest people, sometimes people who love you give you the worst advice yep. and can be the least supportive because yep. they are projecting how they feel about themselves onto you yeah. or how, how far they think they can go onto you. Right. The other thing I want to say is that sometimes missing these balls are such a blessing. Hmm. If I had gotten that job at Hot 97, you want to know how much money these radio personalities make? Yeah, like 80K like, or something. Not even. Some of these personalities are making like 30K a year, 40K a year. What? I make so much more money than that now. You know what I mean? <laughs> these are the kind of things that, that make it so obvious. We did a video, no, it was a couple of years ago or something. It was Howard Stern talking about podcasting and like how terrible of a medium it is and how horrible and blah, blah, blah. And like understanding more about how the radio world works. It's, oh, I totally get why somebody like that would shit on podcasts. Because if you had to do five years of an unpaid internship to then get this shitty show that nobody listened to on a regional local radio exactly. thing and then do that at making $27,000 a year for seven years and then you get a promotion to 35 and then you're, then you're finally, like Howard Stern's obviously the most exaggerated example of this. Yeah. But you take an average person who's been doing it and they've been in the industry for 30 years. Yeah, they might make 300K like, a year if yeah, they're really, if they're really good. Really good. Famous. In, in, in a really large market. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like when you take somebody like that who they had to sacrifice and work and do all this other 20 shit for years, literally like, decades and then they look at like somebody who started three years three later years making ago, 60K a month on my podcast. more distribution, you know? better <laughs> listenership, like businesses, all these Everything. other opportunities come from it. That would be pretty frustrating. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, and so like, I feel so lucky. I feel so lucky I didn't get the MTV show. I feel yes. so lucky I didn't get Hot 97. I feel so lucky I got rejected from Sirius XM because now I own my brand and I yeah. have businesses and like, I didn't have my reputation tarnished. If I had gotten filmed on MTV when I was 25 years old, like I would definitely have tarnished everything, <laughs> you know? So thank God those things didn't happen because I do really believe that everything happens for a reason. And I got skills along the way that didn't go away. You get these yes. skills and then you transfer them in different areas. And without corporate, without my MBA, without the blog, without the radio station, I would not be Halataha. Yeah. I would not have gone so far so quick. So I don't regret any of it. You can only join the dots looking back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You can't ever piece it together looking into the future. So speaking of looking into the future, what, what do you got that's like exciting for you next? Well, my podcast network is really blowing up. We've secured over $3 million in sponsorships in a year and a half. Like we are Fantastic. crushing. 
I'm sponsoring podcast movement for the first time. Nice. I'll, whole, I'll see you there then. Yeah. Like as big as like the iHeart area, there like, like really crushing it in that regard, speaking everywhere, uh, writing a book. Oh, cool. So I started the process of getting an agent and all these kinds Are of things. Are you allowed to tell me what it's about? Yes, okay. it is. And I'm happy to come on and talk about it again. It's going to be about human behavior and social media. So mm. platforms are always changing. Algorithms are always changing. But, but human behavior not. doesn't ever change. There you go. So if you understand human behavior, you'll always be like 80% of the way there. And then you've got to just figure out the algorithm. So that's really what it's going to be about. I've interviewed like every major human behavior expert in the world. Robert Cialdini is like one of my mentors. He wrote Influence. He's, He's going to write yep. Forward and everything like this. Fingers crossed. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Good. Well, we'll definitely have you back on when that day comes. And then last question for you, Hala. How important have, you've already mentioned it like three times, mentors and different people you talk to, how important have the relationships in your life been in getting you to the point where you are now? So important because sometimes you can't even see, like when I was in a dark place in terms of like my dad was dying, I literally had 20 people working for free for me that all I had to do was just turn it on and turn it into an agency. I had built all the processes. I couldn't even see it. I was blind to my own opportunities. And somebody who was a stranger, again, back to the point that sometimes the closest people to us don't even have the best interests for us or our future. They can't even see us for who we are. They see us for who we were, right? My friends couldn't see me past high school hollow that got no opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. My ex-boyfriend couldn't see me past intern at Haunt 87 because he was with me for so long, mm -hmm. right? Heather saw me as who I was and who I became because mm -hmm. she met me later on in life. And she was so impressed with what I was doing. And she was the one that told me to start a business. Mm -hmm. She funded me as my first client. She's the one that was like screaming at me to quit Disney. She's, you're nuts. I remember she was in the grocery store and she's, you quit your job tomorrow. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Because I was just like, I'm scared. And she's, you're retarded. Come on, just do it. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's, she pushed me several times. So it's like Heather has been a great mentor. Jordan Harbinger, uh, he's a huge podcaster. He's a man. He also was like Heather where like, I really was chasing him. Mm -hmm. Heather was like my business mentor, but she didn't know a lot about podcasting. And I was yeah. like, I want to know everything about this. One thing you got to be really obsessed with what you do. Yeah. And so I'm the type of person that like literally ask me anything about podcasting. I know the answer. Yeah. And I know the answer better than everybody else. Yeah. And I 100% confident about this. Mm -hmm. Jordan Harbinger to me was the smartest. There's only one other person I feel like knows more than me and it's Jordan Harbinger. Yeah. Maybe. Now I feel like I probably know. <laughs> but so at what, this was like three years ago. I remember he came on my podcast and I started yeah. reaching out to him. I was like, hey, do you need any help with anything? He's really big into growing his show. And I was like, do you know about all these media buying opportunities? Have you heard of CastBox? Have you like, and I, I put him onto CastBox media buying and he was mm -hmm. like, wow, like you're really smart. And I was like, the subscriber acquisition cost is this. This, I would just send him random information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I got on the cover of Podcast Magazine and I would put him as my favorite podcaster. I'm like, hey, Jordan, I put you in Podcast Magazine. Or yeah. I got this blog feature. I put you in it. And so I kept putting it in his ear. And I told him what I do and all this stuff. And then one day he was like, oh, my producer's sick. Can you write a commercial for me? Like, I need to write a new chalk points. My producer's sick. Like, really need help. I think you're really good at this stuff. Could you do it for me? 
And I wasn't like, oh, it's going to cost $300. Sure, like, right. I was just like, sure. I'm like, I did it right away. I crushed it. And he's like, this is amazing. Then like, he just started giving me advice. He yeah. started telling me all the game. He told me all the tricks. He really taught me a lot about yeah. podcasting. So he was like my podcast mentor. He's the reason why I was able to grow my show really big. And like, even to this day, if I'm like, hey, like, I'm just like confused about this. And he'll tell me exactly what it is because yep. he's got 10 more years of experience in this game than me. And so I see him as like the old school knowledge. Like I'm bringing him the new school knowledge. So it's this really this mentor-mentee relationship. So he's my podcast mentor. And then I'm lucky because all my clients, I'm like in this white glove agency where I only do like big CEO, yep. big authors, celebrities. People that can afford to pay you. And those clients always become my mentors yeah. and my biggest advocates because I really work hard for them. Yeah. They get to know me. They really like me. And then they refer their friends and they always, they're like sort of not necessarily teaching me things, but they're the type of mentor that says my, my name in a room yeah. when I'm not there. The, the, the indirect mentors. Opportunities, you know? Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Tell people you should have like official, like direct mentors, but also unofficial indirect mentors. Yeah. And that I totally, totally resonate with that for sure. Cause yeah. you get in the right rooms with the right people and you just show up and do a good job successful people are always wanting to help people be successful. Like truly, truly successful people with an abundance mindset, like they want to help people, yeah. but they're not going to do it for people who are not going to take the help and put in the work. Right. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like they don't like wasting their time. And they're not going to put your name in the hat if they know you're going to embarrass. Them. Screw it up. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's like my name gets drops in hats because I crushed it for them on social yeah. media. So they know I'm going to crush it for their friend. Right. 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 So you've got to, show the results too. Absolutely. This has been a lot of fun. We're definitely gonna have a part two when you write your book, when it comes out. Yeah. So we'll save some of the questions that I had for that occasion. But before we take off here, why don't you tell everybody where to go find a little bit more about what you're working on? Sure. So I would love it if you guys subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast. So it's a top entrepreneurship podcast, top business podcast. I've interviewed so many great people, Alex Ramosi, Grant Cardone, Damon John, Robert Cialdini, Chris Voss, lots of human behavior, lots of sales, marketing, negotiation, entrepreneurship. That's what my podcast is about. Again, it's called Young and Profiting. You can find it on all apps. If you're a big podcaster, you've got over 100,000 downloads, you want help with monetizing your show, you can go to yapmedia.io and submit to join our network. And if you're a celebrity author, influencer, you've got a big budget and you want to become a LinkedIn influencer or an IG influencer, you can also reach out to me at yapmedia.io. Perfect. Yapmedia.io and at Hala Taha, right, on Instagram? At Yap, good good point. At Yap with Hala on Instagram. At Yap with Hala. Yeah. And okay. then if you want to find me on LinkedIn, it's Hala Taha. But if you want to reach out Got to it. me, it's definitely Instagram. My LinkedIn is nuts. I'm one okay. of the biggest influencers on So Yap with Hala. On at IG. Yap with Hala on IG. Yeah. Reach out. Tell her yeah, you tell me love you her stuff. It. Yeah. Tell her how you're going to read her book when it comes out, buy her book, subscribe to her stuff. Holla's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Travis. You did a great job. Thanks. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. 
And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.